Many of you will know, especially the dads in the room, I'm sure you know, that next Sunday is Father's Day. And this talk is the first of a two-parter under the heading, What Kind of Father? Four little words, what kind of father? So today I'm asking, what kind of father is God? I'll leave you to guess what next week's title might be. So what kind of father? But first, let me ask, so is there a bit of an echo in here or is it just me? Oh, it is. Okay, just mentioning it. Um, But first... Let me ask a question that's often asked by guests on the Alpha Course. Isn't he everyone's father? Are we all God's children? And the answer is yes and no, but mostly no. If you think of parents, they give you three things. They give you your existence, they give you your resemblance, and a relationship. So first, existence. If someone's your parent, it's because you've literally sprung from their body. Secondly, resemblance. All your genetic code, all your DNA comes from one or other of your parents. What you look like, many of your characteristics, all of those building blocks come from them. I mean, I was just innocently standing in the queue for coffee at my, where my son's at church, down in Bath. Big church, about 800 people. And I'm just chatting to someone in the queue. And I happen to laugh. And the person serving coffee leans forward and says, Oh, I know whose dad you are. <laughs> the third is relationship. A parent brings you into a place of personal engagement and guidance and creates a home for you, a place where you can grow and learn and mature. So, is God the father of everybody? Well, in the first sense, yes. God is the creator of everyone in Acts 17.11. Paul says we are all his offspring. Of course we are, in that first sense. If you primarily think of God's fatherhood in terms of the source of your existence, then we are all God's children. Everybody. But the Bible doesn't primarily think like that. That's not its focus. Secondly, if you say primarily the fatherhood means resemblance, then nobody is his child. Well, except Jesus. He's the only one who is just like his father. He's the only one who's perfectly good, perfectly honest, perfectly loving, perfectly faithful. If you look at those first two aspects of fatherhood, then either everybody is a child or nobody is a child. But John 1.12, speaking about Jesus, says, yet to All who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. To believe in his name. What's his name? Well, it's Jesus. And the angel said to Joseph, call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And Christ means Messiah. So to believe in his name means to believe that he's the promised one sent by God to save us from our sins. That's what it means to believe in the name of Jesus and to receive him means to ask him in, 
to welcome him into your life. And it says, speaking about Jesus, yet to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gives the right to become children of God. There it is. The first thing we have to understand about being a child of God is it's something you can choose. It's not automatic. You're either in the fam or you're not in the fam. Or you can come into the family of God. You have to know that or you'll never get it. You have to know that or you'll never get in. Second question. Is knowing God as Father in a relationship important? Yes. It's absolutely central and fundamental to our faith as Christians. In fact, if we asked what biblically, based on what it says in the Bible, should we call ourselves and base our identity on, the answer is not Christian. The name Christian only makes it into the pages of the Bible in one tiny little place in Acts 11, where Luke's actually quoting other people. He says, just once in Antioch, Jesus' followers were first called Christians, literally mini-Christs. It was a sort of nickname that other people gave to the followers of Jesus. It's what other people called them. But listen to this. Already we've heard in John 1.12, we are given the right to become Christians, to become children of God. Yet to all who received him, he gives the right to become children of God. 1 John chapter 3 tells us how great is the love which the Father has lavished on us that we should be called Christian, Mm -mm. that we should be called children of God. Romans 8.14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God are Christians are the sons, the children of God. Galatians 4.4, God sent his son to redeem us so we could receive the full rights of Christians, children of God. Or in verse 7 up there, you are no longer a servant but a child of God. Hmm. What would you say is the greatest metaphor the greatest story that captures the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, God's rescue plan for mankind, his rescue plan for you and me. What would you say it was? I'd say it's got to be the parable of the prodigal son. And what's its message? What's its story? What's the big surprise? What's the punchline? It's the father. The prodigal, prodigious, extravagant father waiting to embrace the child, waiting, watching for the child to come home to the Father. Jesus follower, the true basis of your identity, your security, your status, your significance is your position, your legal position in the courts of heaven as a child, as a fully adopted child of God. No wonder Paul writes in Ephesians 3.14, For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family, literally all fatherhood in heaven and earth, gains its identity, gains its credibility. Relationship to God as Father is absolutely fundamental 
to our faith and our identity. So, question three, what kind of father? What kind of father is he? Bearing in mind, we're in a series in the Psalms. What do we know? Specifically, what can we draw out of Psalms to inform our understanding of God as father? References to God as father in the Old Testament are sparse. That's not how God was seen. When Jesus spoke of God as father, this was a revolutionary concept. But he did it all the time. Every time we see Jesus talking to God, what does he say? He says, Father, my Father, Holy Father, Abba Father. Every time, except one. Do you know where that was? It was at the cross. He didn't say, Father, Father. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Well, that's interesting. Why? What was happening? Well, what was happening at the cross was my sin and your sin was being laid on Jesus and taken off, you and I. He became sin for us. He took the curse of sin. And as a consequence, he lost the spirit of sonship. His place knew him no more, as it says in Job. The door was closed. He was shut out. The ultimate nightmare, something vastly worse than that even, something unimaginable, cast away, out of the family, out of the house, out of the home. His place knew him no more. He was gone. He felt gone. It was like going to hell forever. Why? Because he lost the spirit of sonship. Why? Do you know why he lost the spirit of sonship? So we could have it. So we could gain it. His place knew him no more. Why? So we could have his place. At the cross, for Jesus, the door to the ultimate home was closed so that that same door could be opened wide for you and for me to come home to as a child of the ultimate father. Our search in Psalms for Father's Day, which is next week, takes us to Psalm 103. This fantastic Psalm of David reveals to us huge truths about the character of God and his heart toward us. And I'm not going to attempt to exegete or explain the whole psalm today. We're here mainly for verses 13 and 14, but let me read to you the first 14 verses. You know, if, if a favourite psalm is determined by how often you refer to it, this is pretty much my morning prayer as I go off for my run with the dog. It's, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. But in the NIV, we have, praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals 
all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed. Over 60s, like the eagles, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord loves those, has compassion on those who fear him. God's love, among other things, is father love. He is other things, but today we're looking at this. Why? Well, lots of reasons, but one reason is because fully knowing and experiencing God as Father equips us to fulfill, to fully fill our roles as mother, as father and mother. What does it really mean that God is Father? We see here it means at least two things, and today we have time for just one because it's big, and it means absolute safety. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. The NIV, well, just a moment. Did you see the incredible depth of emotion there? Did you see the incredible depth of feeling that the father has for you? Did you see it? No? Well, I'm not surprised, because it's lost. It's lost in translation. The NIV gives us compassion. The King James Version gives us, as a father pitieth his children, but neither gets anywhere close. Hebrew scholars tell us the word used here, raham, is an unbelievably deep emotional word. It means to be viscerally, overwhelmingly in love with someone or something. It's a word usually used in scripture and reserved with regard to mothers. One place the word is used that opens it up for us a little is Isaiah 49:15. Through his prophet, the Lord compares himself to a mother with a baby. He says, can a woman forget the baby nursing at her breast? This is God speaking to you, his people. Can a mother forget the baby nursing at her breast? Can she fail to have compassion, Ramah, on the child sucking at her breast? Yes, 
She may forget, but I will not forget you. This is an incredibly visceral love. There's a kind of love, there's a kind of compassion that's, that's overwhelming. I asked Julie about this. I asked, how, how was it being a new mum when Bryn was born? And I wrote down what she told me. She said, he was like my world. It was as if nothing else existed. He could have done or asked for anything at any time, and I would have to satisfy him. He just didn't sleep. But my love for him was still overwhelming, all-consuming. Somehow you find the energy. Somehow you find the grit. End of quote. This mother love is just overwhelming. It's visceral. It's biologically rooted. It's the overwhelming love a mother has for an infant as her milk is coming in. And God revealing his heart to you aligns with this word. Another place where the same word occurs is also with regards to mother love, and it's very vivid. It's in 1 Kings 3, key verse, verse 26, if you're making notes. We have quite a famous story here about a woman whose infant baby died in the night, and in her despair and anger, she goes and steals the infant baby of another woman who it seems is sleeping in the same room. The next day, the true mother realizes what has happened and drags the thief to, to King Solomon, the wise judge. It's my baby. No, it's my baby. It's mine. How is he going to know who's telling the truth? Finally, brilliantly, he says, bring a sword. Okay, cut the baby in half. She can have half, she can have half. And the thief says, yes, cut him in two. But the true mother says, it says, was filled with compassion, with ramah, viscerally moved. Mothers, can you imagine what she's feeling? And she says, Okay, okay, she's the mother, give her the child. In effect, she's saying, she's the mother, I'm the liar. To the king, to say, I'm a liar, I'm the liar, I've committed perjury, was probably a capital offence. But what does it mean to us? What's it telling us? Here, it's true mother love. The love that will give its life to save its child. Here is the love that comes in when the milk comes in. Here is this unbelievably, overwhelmingly, emotional, visceral love. She realises what's going to happen to the baby and is willing to sacrifice her life and give her child to the liar, to the thief, to save the child. And God is saying... And he's saying this to you this morning. Do you want to know what kind of love I have for you? This is the love. Do you want to know what my heart is towards you? Here it is. This is a God and Father you can trust. 
This is a God and Father you can confidently surrender to, that you can give your life to with complete confidence because he's for you. His heart is compassion. It's raham toward you. You can take away anything and everything from your life that breaks his heart. And he will go on loving you like this. Do you know, even us below average parents, and there are many of us, I mean at least 49%, think about it, we know something. When you have... No, sorry. Turned left when I should have turned right. Yeah. God is using an unbelievably emotional, powerful word that's, and says, that's exactly how I love you. But why? Why does he love you like that? You. Have you ever thought to ask why? There is an answer. There is a reason. And it's here in the text. Let's look at verses 13 and 14 again. As a father has compassion, as he has this visceral, raham love on his children. He, Lord, the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Why? Well, the answer's here. The next word is for. In other words, because. Because. He has this compassion, this visceral love for you because... He knows our frame. He knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. Dust? Why dust? Dust is a metaphor for falling apart. It's a metaphor for being broken, for being almost in bits, broken, flawed, sinful. He's saying, I love you because you're a wreck, because you're flawed. This is weird, isn't it? I mean, does this make any sense? I mean, we know that. We know almost intuitively, it's common sense, that when we're doing well, when we're doing what's right, when we're walking well, doing what God wants us to do, when we're being obedient, he loves us, surely. That's logical. But we're told here that when we're doing badly, when we're doing poorly, when we're destroying ourselves, he's saying when his children are falling apart, He loves them more. Does this make sense to you? Does it sound like a non-secretaire? It just doesn't follow? How to make sense of it? He's telling us that God is emotionally, deeply involved with his children because they are such idiots. Because they're so stupid. Because they're such dust. Is that a non-secretaire? To you? I mean, listen, if you don't understand this, if it makes no sense, it's because you don't understand parents. It doesn't matter what his children do, God remains irrevocably emotionally involved. Whatever you do, good or bad, although what you do has consequences, You know, where you sow, you reap. God is not mocked. But whether you do good or bad, he just loves and loves. 
Sure. As I say, what you do has consequences, but he just loves and loves. You are absolutely and completely safe and secure in his undissolvable, indestructible commitment to you. As I was saying, even us below average parents, (laughs) we know something. You know, when you have three or four children, one of them is being the most stupid, and one of them is being the worst son or daughter ever, one of them is just being the most messed up. What happens to your parent love? What happens is you feel more parent love. Your heart goes out to them more and more. Parents know this. Almost as soon as they're born, your heart locks on. And you realise no matter how this child acts, for the rest of his or her life, you're never going to be happy unless they're happy. You're never going to be okay unless they're okay. And God says, there's a reason for this. And the reason, parents, is and even you bad parents and below average parents, you are made in his image. You have his likeness in you. That's how he is. He says, I am father. If you've come into my family through the living way which my son Jesus has opened for you, through his death for you, you are my child. You have a parent-child relationship with me. I'm your father, and you are absolutely safe and secure in my love, my counter-intuitive, counter-conditional love. Not because of anything that you're doing for me or giving to me. No, it's just because you are my child. That's the thing he says, that you most need in the world. It's with me. That's where it is. You need that absolute safety and security of my father, mother, visceral love. Is there anyone here who doesn't need that love? As Anthony and the worship team come forward, there's uh, this little vignette video, a little extract from the Alpha course, which I feel just sums up some of what I've been trying to say in the space of two minutes. Thank you. MS, so she was really ill when I was growing up. I didn't really know life without her having MS. But besides that, my parents were like the best to me. They They would do anything for me. But I wasn't the best kid. I am now, like now I'm the best. But uh, before, when I was a teenager, I, I would just lie and I would be rubbish in school. I wouldn't be like the violent kid or it wouldn't be like obvious. Like some kids get into gangs and selling drugs. I, I was like way too smart. Like I just like causing trouble that you couldn't get caught for. And over a period of time, I started to realize how you could steal without getting caught. One day coming back from the, the cinema, I remember walking through the door and my parents were sat at the dinner table and was like, Alex, we need to talk to you. And basically what happened is like, I just stole money from their bank account. 
and they found out. And so I ran upstairs into my room. I just remember feeling like I hate myself. Not even like who had I become. No, it wasn't like that sort of moment. It was more, I'm rubbish. Like, I'm just a bad kid. And so I piled my entire room against my door. Like I got my bed, my drawers on my bed, everything, and then piled it up and then just sat at the other end of this barricade. It was silent for a bit and I, I was crying and I just, my dad comes up the stairs, he knocks on the door and I just don't say anything. And then he stops and he's like, okay, I'm gonna go. But he said this thing, which I'll never forget exactly what he said. He said, I need you to know that me and your mum love you. We're just confused because we don't know what we haven't done for you. And then he, he just said, I would love it if you opened the door because I really want to give you a hug right now. And then like a few years later, I don't know what I was thinking about, but I was just thinking about that moment. I realized like that's the, like one of the most real examples of who God is that I've ever seen in my life. Just, just sort of that begging to come and show mercy. My dad's just the best.